who has given me a new nature, as I give him access to who I am, as I give him access to my will, and he begins to express his very nature as an extension from me. And I begin to look more and more like him as I allow the Spirit of God to transform me, to change me from the inside out. Therefore, Paul says, be imitators of God. How? Right in the verse, as dearly loved children, as beloved children. That's an awesome designation. We've already looked at that. That's who you are in Christ. That's how, that's how God sees you as his child. So imitate God as his children. The characteristics of a child of God, when it was born of God, if you love the Lord... If you love Jesus Christ, then I trust that you can put your finger on it right now. It's, it's the pulse, the heartbeat of who you are right now or has been or who you long to be. It's things like this. I want to be like him. I, I want to walk my life like he walked. I want to talk to other people, listen to other people like he did. I want to give like he gave. I want to love like he loved. I want to minister to other people like he ministered. I trust that at time to time, I hope that even today, that that is your heart's cry. What does it mean to be an imitator of God? Verse 2, chapter 5, tells us that we are to live a life of love, to walk or demonstrate love. The most identifying characteristic of my life that shows that I've been born of God, that I'm a son or daughter of God, is that I walk in, that I walk out love. Follow along. Just looking at the text, notice the progression here. He says, verse 1, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Okay? Ready? Go. Right, right, well, well, how? What, what, how do I do that? Well, he goes on, live a life of love. Walk in a way of love. That's helpful, right? Great, go with that. Okay, well, he gives us an example of exactly what he means by this. How am I to love? Just as Christ loved us. That makes it clear, right? No? Well, then we need to ask, how was it that Christ Love me. Again, the text tells us, bottom line, what it means to be an imitator of God, to walk in love, to walk as Christ walked, to love as he loved, is this. He gave himself up. He emptied himself. Literally, he donated himself. Literally, even more literal, Jesus broke himself for you. Philippians 2.5 and following, your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as that of Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he what? He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He broke himself. To be broken. Listen, transformation of a kingdom nature begins with brokenness. 
Transformation begins when I come to the end of myself and confess before a holy God, I can't live the way you're calling me to. I can't. I give up. That's brokenness, coming to the end of yourself. But you can. So I invite you in. That's where, that's where transformation starts. It continues as I walk in that dependent, when I'm, when, when it, it, but it's predicated by a continual brokenness. The moment that I, every time that I revert back into, and no one says this out loud, no one actually even thinks this out loud, I got this handled. The moment we go there, we step away from brokenness. And we're on our own, in our own strength, and supernatural transformation cannot continue until I return to that place of absolute dependence and brokenness. No brokenness, no transformation. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of the kind of giving that he exemplified. Be imitators of the kind of loving that he exemplified. Be imitators of the kind of ministry that he did. And when we do that, that is the fragrance. That is the thing that smells good to God. The end of chapter 5, verse 2. Have you ever thought about that? How I live my life can smell good to God. It can also stank. I started by saying, I trust this is your heart's cry, this is your heart's motivation, but what if? What if today? What if last week? What if next week? That... What if I'm at a place or I come to a place where fundamentally I'm not here with the driving passion of my heart to walk as he walked? What if the driving passion of my heart, of of our church's heart, is not to find out what it means to be a follower of of Christ, to to not find out what it means to love like he loved and to love that way. To discover, to not discover what it means when it says he gave and then to give that way. What if fundamentally I'm not here to find out what it means when it says he broke himself and then allow myself to become broken before God in that way And open myself up to him. Instead, we settle for a form of godliness, all the while denying his power. What if our walk, our practice, our faith, our Christianity has become a reflection not of God, but rather of our culture? Good news. If I'm there, I can be, it can be overcome. It can be removed. 
The real tragedy that is, in so many ways, we don't see how what I imitate and what I reflect is not God, but an influence of the culture I live in. See, it's not like we become these horrible people who who don't care about God or care about the things the Bible says. We do care. But there are things, I believe, that we have become imitators of, but it's not of God, and it happens in subtle ways. We just don't see it. Be imitators of God, not imitators of the world. And the way we imitate the world is subtle. There's a number in our church who are readers. So for those of you who are readers and you've been a reader for some time and you like reading books about the church and ministry, just by a quick show of hands, if you have read this book or at least familiar with this book, George Barna, The Frog in the Kettle. No surprise. So for the rest of us, The Frog in the Kettle by George Barner opens up with this illustration and he unpacks it all the way through in the research of that time frame of the church and culture. I'm glad that, well, most of the kids are gone. I trust that you won't do this as a science experiment. Well, maybe you will. I don't know. If you place a frog in a pan of room temperature water and set it on top of your stove. I see a number of mothers going, no, don't do it. And you turn on the flame on very low and you wait and then you gradually turn it up a little bit more and you wait and you turn it up a little bit more and you wait. You turn up a little bit more, you get get the idea. Um, Until the water is boiling, the frog, to its peril, never tries to get out of the water. Because the change is so subtle, it does not know that it's dying. Hope the application to our Christian life and the church is clear. Listen, the very nature of who Jesus Christ is and the Spirit of God that dwells in you, the very nature of true Christianity demands change in me. It demands that I change and it rejects staying the same. For Jesus, the result of His kind of living, the result of his kind of giving, the result of his kind of breaking, the result of his kind of ministry, at least two things happened. One, people were healed and set free, and he was broken to accomplish it. Be imitators of God. How? Walk in love. How? Like he did. How? He broke himself. I'm going to give you three things real quickly that that I see or perceive as being characteristics 
of the church, capital C, in general, not Dover, in general, that has come from our society, and it's hard to see its influence on our lives. I just want you to hear my heart in this. These are just things I see, things that concern me in terms of what, co- what happens is, instead of being an imitator of God, whatever that, I, it, it gets perverted, it gets twisted. And without even realizing it, I'm not really walking, imitating him. So our task as we dive into this is to to see if we can disentangle ourselves. I would go back. um, I wrote a number of things. I appreciated Joel facilitating uh, Sunday school this morning. Uh, I I have three pondering questions for this week. And unless you take this kind of message and go, all right, Lord, I give you, I invite you, I give you permission, Holy Spirit, to speak into my life this week. Where is this real? And then when he shows it to you, to think, okay, I need you to remove this from my life. How does this happen? Unless I engage in this, you'll probably leave today going, wasn't his best message. And that'll be it. First thing I want us to see is kind of laying a foundation for what we're going to talk about is this. The fact that we live in a technological society, that is, it seems, that is constantly advancing. Is that a deep thought? I bet you haven't thought that thought before. No? Yes? Yeah? So insightful. What in the world does that have to do with how we've been perverted into not being imitators of God? Well, let's see. We'd all agree that we live in a society that is highly technological. And basically, one of the ways that that unpacks for me is we live in a society that is driven by this, these kind of thoughts. What matters is what works. If it doesn't work, discard it. I find something that works better, faster, use that. The other one's old. What really matters is what produces really quickly. And what really, really matters is what produces quickly for the greatest number of people. Anything else? Obsolete, get rid of it. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing sinful about technology advancement. The problem I want to propose to you this morning is that even though that condition added to our society is that it's not wrong. What we need to understand is it is not neutral. It is not stagnant. On the contrary, I believe that it is all pervasive. And it has infected our thinking in ways that we don't even see. First example of how this is playing out, that is how our society has infected our thinking, is that we have moved into a position where we are maintaining things more than meeting the needs of people. 
Let me say it again. We are more into maintaining things, our stuff, more than meeting the needs of people. Because our things are more important than meeting needs. Now, we would never say that out loud. It's just how we act. And we don't see it. Let me attempt an example. We want to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Let me make it real personal. Those who call Dover Church their church, God has blessed us with facilities and things to use here and equipment, and we are to be good stewards of what he's provided for us. And we want those things to be used to meet needs. Amen? But that's not always the case in every church. When maintaining things become more important than meeting needs, we will begin, what it looks like is we will begin to put all sorts of restrictions on how you can use the church facilities. True story. In our previous district, I know of a church that went through a fairly significant renovation project. Hardly a room in the entire facility was untouched. At the conclusion of it, someone had the idea that we should appoint a committee to come up with a facility use policies and procedures. Catch this. For every room. When they had finished, they mounted outside of every room throughout the church in a laminated page for every room of what you could and could not use that room for. How the room could and could not be set up. Who could and could not use that room. When the room could and could not be used. On and on and on. Now again, we want to be good stewards. I think every one of us should do our part and be a good steward of what God has blessed us with and entrusted us with. But what's frightening is when we slide into this mindset where we're maintaining things more than meeting needs and we don't see it. Here's what it looks like, what it sounds like. Look at this nice room. Hey, kid, did you see the sign? Get the soda out of here. Something happens like that, the message that we send to that young person is quite clear. The carpet on the floor, the paint on the walls is more important than meeting your need. It's not because we're mean people. It's because we don't see it. We don't see the influence. The problem isn't our new stuff. Our problem is that we really struggle with what it means to imitate God. Who has a smartphone? We could go all day with this. So, yeah, that's what I've been struggling with. And I, I, just, I just don't know 
where should he, I, I, I just need some advice. Sorry, uh, I, I got I to get this out. I, I, I've been waiting for this, this cat video. But have you heard a word I said? Did you see this meme? Okay. What were you saying? Never mind. It's not important. But what they really mean is, never mind. To me, I'm not important to you. Technology has so invaded our lives that we imitate not God but we don't see it. The problem is we really struggle with what it means to be broken. And from that brokenness to do ministry. To do whatever it takes to do ministry, to do whatever I need to do to meet someone's need. To to give up whatever I need to give up. To allow to be broken, whatever needs to be broken in me, in order that people can come to know who Jesus really is and be set free and transformed to be who God designed them, created them to be. He was all about the business of meeting people's needs and breaking himself. Second effect on the church that is coming very subtly because we're not broken before God, is that we place emphasis on technique rather than on building relationships. Notice in your, in your notes, typo, it shouldn't say rebuilding. Judy made the PowerPoint right from my notes. It shouldn't be rebuilding. It should be building. So cross off the RE, please. We place more emphasis on te- technique rather than building relationship with God and relationships with others. Example, it is common among the titles of best-selling books, they're books that promote or expose to a technique. They're how-to books. Follow these 10 steps Apply these techniques to this area of your life and you will be what? Happy, successful, wealthy, thin, strong, popular. And one of the things that scares me is that it's the same true among Christian books. Bestsellers. The techniques. Eight ways to overcome loneliness. Six ways to have a happy marriage. Five ways to know God. What we want in this fast food culture we live in is we want things spelled out for us. Listen, there's nothing wrong with a book that points to biblical principles and applying them to my life. 
please don't misunderstand me. What's wrong is that we really begin to believe that if I begin to follow the formula, if I follow the technique of these five little steps, that is where fulfillment is. If I do these six things, that will make me successful, happy, fulfilled as a Christian. And the tragedy is we don't see the danger in it. I mean, you know. Haven't you ever felt bad for Jesus? I mean, come on. If Jesus had available to him all the helps that we have available to us, he would have been so more effective. I mean, think about it. He would gather a bunch of people together on a hillside. Think of how much better he could have done ministry if he he had had these techniques. He'd gather a crowd and like Matthew 5, he'd say things like, you want to be happy? Blessed are the poor in spirit. You want to be happy? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the persecuted. And when he was done, people were like, what? So he'd say things like this. There were two guys. One built his house on sand, one built his house on a rock. Storm comes, one gets washed away, one is left standing and is saved. And when he's done, people go, what? And then he walks away. He leaves them intentionally to struggle with and wrestle with what it really means to follow him. To live an authentic relationship with him. But what we want to know are what are the five easy steps. I want to read something, a classic, A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. Just in case you think I'm off the rails on this. Because, hey, Tozer said it. Quote, and you got to think of the time frame Tozer wrote this. Quote, We now demand glamorous, fast-flowing, dramatic action. We are a generation of Christians who have been reared among push buttons and automatic machines. We have grown impatient of slower and less direct methods of reaching our goals. Things like having relationships, being broken, caring, fighting with concepts. He continues, We want other people to do our thinking for us. We have made, excuse me, we have been trying to apply machine age methods, technology age methods to our relationship with God. He goes on, the tragic results of this kind of practice is all around us. Shallow lives. Hollow religious philosophies. Such things as these are the symptoms of an evil disease. Listen to this. A perversion of what it means to be broken, a perversion of God's love, a deep and serious malady of the soul. End quote. In subtle ways, technique 
becomes more important and takes the place of pursuing a relationship. Maybe it's because we're afraid. We're afraid of allowing ourselves to be broken before God and staying there. Thinking there has to be more to it than that or is it easier than that or are there just six steps I can follow? If you're my age-ish, even younger would still be influenced by this. If you have done any reading, pursuing of doing youth ministry, you are familiar with the name Mike Iaconelli. Mike Iaconelli was known as the godfather of modern youth ministry, affectionately. He authored many books created a wealth of youth ministry curriculum through youth specialties and that organization, and it was devoted specifically to equipping youth workers, lay people, youth pastors, conferences, seminars, all sorts of training material. At the height of his ministry career, he was a sought-after national youth conference speaker. Everybody wanted Mike Iaconelli to come and tell them about youth ministry, how to live out my Christian faith as a teen. Listen to this story. He went to a conference. He had spoke before several thousand young people. When he finished, they rose to their feet, gave him a standing ovation. They loved him. As he was leaving through the back of the auditorium, his wife nudged him and said, you were really funny tonight. And he responded, you know, in their relationship, he says, thanks, I am pretty funny. I would never say something like that. And then she said, the problem is you didn't say anything. What do you mean I didn't say anything? I talked about Jesus. I gave them some principles. I quoted some verses. I was funny. I held their attention. But when he began to step back from that and, and think and pray, contemplate, ask the Holy Spirit to what truth is in this statement that was just given to me from my wife, he realized she was right. That basically, what he had gone there to do was to try and promote a style, to have them like him. They even asked him to come back to next year's conference. And then he went on to say, quote, The real tragedy was not only that I hadn't said anything of substance. The real tragedy was not only that I went to those kids and didn't say anything. The real tragedy was that they thought I had. You know what's great about style? It sells well. You know what's great about style? It feels good. The thing that's nice about style is it never makes me think. The thing that's nice about style is it never makes me grow, it never makes me confronted, it never makes me change, and it never breaks me. Application, three things, just one from each of these points. One, if style is a priority, people will never be broken. 
People will never understand what it means to walk as he walked, loved as he loved. And the reason is this. If I am into promoting a style of how to do something and making you think that that is what Christianity is, then my whole ministry, my whole interaction with you, I can never let down that mask. I can never let down that image. I can never let that facade down. Because Christianity looks this way. Confess? Are you kidding me? And the church, for us, becomes a place where we could never tell what's really going on in my life. I could go to my unsaved neighbor and tell them, unburden myself, but because my church is in the style and how we look, and we're trying to live a certain way, You come here in pain and agony and hurt and inconsistency in your life, but you'll never say it, you'll never deal with it, and you'll live with that lie. And we become like the frog in the kettle, saying, I'm fine. And the result is we still go home sick. What if... We place emphasis on technique rather than on building relationships with God and with one another. I will look for the shortcut. Five easy steps. I will really begin to believe that if I follow that formula, those five little steps, that is where I will find fulfillment. That is where I will find freedom. That is where I will find life. No. Life Victory, freedom, fulfillment are found in an authentic relationship with a person, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, and there are no shortcuts. Three, when maintaining things become more important than meeting needs, when advancement and improvement becomes more important than meeting the needs of people, we are done as a church. Ichabod is written and the glory of God will leave that place. And you can still come every Sunday and do church. Bottom line is this. Each of us need to deal personally with verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where it says to me, Tim, pursue being an imitator of God as a child of mine. What that means is to walk in love. Your example is Christ because he loved you. What he did is he broke himself. A life lived like that is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Listen. Anything else stinks. You just won't notice it stinks because we become used to the smell. Let's pray.